As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Howdy, everybody. It's Arthur Staple. Welcome back to No Sleep Till Belmont, your Islanders podcast from The Athletic. It's June 15th, and the Islanders are still playing hockey. AJ Maletsko, I don't think we would have predicted that even back in January, maybe because we didn't know what the playoff schedule was going to be like, but here we are, still talking about a team that's uh, that's alive and, and very much in the hunt for a Stanley Cup. So, how are you doing? I am good. Um, I'm home now for my travels Congratulations. through that second round. Thank you. Um so it's nice to be home, and um, but got to, of course, get back on uh, with the MSG team. So worked that first game from here, from my home studio, um, which is sort of funny to be, I don't know, it's been a while since I've been back, but I'm good. I'm ready for this semifinal round. Yeah, so are the Islanders, and the Lightning, <laughs> we're not. So I think we're going to dive right in. There's Game 2 is coming up tonight at uh, 8-ish on NBC. Um, as AJ said, she'll be on the... Post-game show with uh, her MSG colleague, Shannon Hogan, always a friend of the show. Butch Goring, friend of the show we haven't had on yet, but I assume he listens all the time. Um, of course so he that, does. Yes, I'll take it he up better. him if he doesn't. Yes, he definitely listens at least to hear us talking about him. So. Actually, I'm, you know what? That's a good test. I'm going to start saying things that he completely <laughs> disagrees with just to test, see if he's listening. Exactly. Um <laughs> So game two is coming up tonight. Game one was uh, a surprise, I think, to everybody. Not that the Islanders won, but how they won. And I you know, I think I summed it up after the game as it was a dominating one-goal win for the Islanders. I, I never really thought, and I don't know how you felt, but I never thought they were really in much danger in that game. And that's a weird thing to say about an Islander-Lightning matchup in the semifinals. It's it's very strange. Um, and, and and again, it's a strange thing to say, because especially for Islanders fans, who I assume most of our listeners are diehard Islanders fans, um, that they there's always this chip on the shoulder for the players, for the fans, the whole sort of the franchise about being the underdog, which, by the way, I don't think is a bad thing. And I don't think it's a negative connotation at all. But there is this sort of sense of nobody gives them the time of day. Nobody takes them seriously through at least you know, obviously not back in Butch Goring's days. Um, but I think that when you look at the way, obviously they took the 2020 bubble hockey by storm, go into the Eastern Conference final and lose a very close six game series with Tampa Bay. And then Tampa Bay goes on and win. They shouldn't be 
under, they shouldn't be the underdogs necessarily. They shouldn't be taken lightly. But when you look on paper, especially the way the Islanders finished the season when they were tailing off and then Tampa Bay, the defending champs, they didn't change anything except for the fact that they get Nikita Kucherov back, uh, who was injured the entire regular season. I know there's a lot of comp, there's a lot of talk about that in terms of their cap and all those different things. But it is fascinating when you look at the way that team played. They were confident. They were uh, assertive. I mean, and I'm talking about the Islanders. And on the flip side of that, I thought the Tampa Bay Lightning looked terrible. Now, is that because of the way the Islanders played? Maybe. Do they have to keep their head up tonight because maybe the Tampa Bay Lightning will turn it on? I'm really excited to see. Yeah, I'm gonna, I would say yes to that. I don't think we're going to see another <laughs> another no show from from John Cooper's team. They they're too good to play that way. I think two games in a row. And I think um, one of the things that really stood out to me in that game was how you know the Islanders' structure um, got brought. You know, you don't want to compare it too much to last year because even though it's very similar teams, the, the fact that they hadn't you know nobody's played anybody outside of their division for nine months and it's been. That was September, which is normally training camp time. Now we're in June, which is usually the tail end of the finals and leading into the draft. I think you throw a lot of that like, well, what did they do last time they played these guys out the window? Because also it was the semifinals and crazy things happen in the playoffs. But I think the thing that throwing out game one, which was, as Barry Trotz likes to say, was basically unfair that the Islanders had to travel all the way from Toronto to Edmonton and play 24 hours later and then got pumped by the lightning in that first game of the semifinals last year. The other five games were very close for the most part. And the difference to me was a guy like Victor Hedman. Um, Mikhail Sergeyev made a, made a difference too, but I thought Victor Hedman jumping up in the play scored a lot of key goals at key times in that series. And he just seemed like he was on the ice all, every game. Uh, on uh, on Sunday afternoon, he didn't look that special to me. Like, um, you know, I know he's dealing with an injury that uh, has had to be managed pretty much since the end of the regular season. And it, that kind of takes him away from being 100% effective. But Tampa's big edge is having those big three and Hedman and Sergachev and Ryan McDonough be on the ice a lot of the time and they can get up and down the ice. They're really good all over the place. They add to the rush. That kind of throws things off from your structure. There was none of that in game one. And, and the Lightning, as you know, because you've seen them a lot, they don't have a goal from their defensemen so far. So that may be something that they need to watch out for. That, that's true. Now, I, one thing I'll say, having watched them a lot and remembering from last year, I mean, Hedman got the con Smythe, right? I mean, he was the well-deserved, yeah, yeah. well-deserved, although I would argue Braden Point probably would have gotten yeah. my vote if I had a vote because I thought he was the most valuable to their team in terms of what he did. Not, I mean, he scored some huge goals, but he drove a ton of offense. Um, and I think that, you know, again, Going back to this regular season, Braden Point had a great season, but he didn't have Kucherov on his wing. So Braden Point is incredibly fast. He has got an uncanny ability to enter the zone with the puck. Like if you look at the zone entries, it's almost always on Braden Point's stick. But without Kucherov drawing attention, he was under fire a lot more during the regular season. So he was quieter. Now you take Victor Hedman, same thing. Now, yeah, he does have some sort of undisclosed injury from late March. And I covered a couple of regular season games and I was not impressed with him, even early in the season. I mean, he's still one of the best defensemen in the world, even when he's not on his A game, just because of just because he is that good. Um, but I would agree with you. The way that Cooper uh, deploys those defensemen, though, is that pairing of McDonough Sergachev. That's their shutdown pair. That's the pair that's out there against the top matchup. Hedman plays with anybody. He plays with, um, you, you know, Ruda. He plays with when you, uh, Luke Shen was in the lineup, when Savard's in the lineup. I mean, you go up and down. He he jumps out there. He does get a lot of minutes. He's not necessarily the shutdown because, as you said, he jumps in the play. Now, we're not seeing that, whether it's because of his injury. 
I will say last round against Carolina in their five games, he, he warmed to it. So the beginning, we didn't see him at all jump in the play. Then he started jumping in a little bit more. So I will be really interested to see tonight, Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, whether we start to see him play. And you mentioned no goals from the back end, but I mean, I'm not, I don't know exactly what the numbers are, but Hedman has to be near the top in assists and he probably has eight or nine power play assists. So every one of those other four guys on that top power play unit has a goal. Hedman has set almost all of them up. So I, 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 he's not himself. He's not at his Norris trophy winning caliber play. There's no question about that. I agree with you. He's still very good. And I think he still can be sneaky, but it's that McDonough. um, Oh, I said, sorry, Jeff, sorry, McDonough Chernak pairing is this shutdown line. And then the Sergeyev, those guys all sort of rotate through. Um, so it is really interesting to see what they have going on. But the depth, I mean, you just look the fact that in the last series, they got some huge goals from Barkley Goudreau, from Tyler Johnson. Uh, Pat Maroon had a goal against Florida in the first round. So, you know, they do have depth to match the depth that the Islanders put on the ice. Yeah, and you know, I don't want to make it out to be like, and we'll talk about this later in the show that the Islanders again the Rodney Dangerfield syndrome, where everyone's saying like, well, you know, if the only reason they won is because Tampa didn't show up. It's definitely not true. And if we focus on the Islanders, I think one of the things that really set them apart in Game One was their forecheck, and um, you can always tell when the the positioning for the Islanders on their forecheck is good because they're breaking up plays with their sticks. You know, uh, Josh Bailey and Brock Nelson broke one up that. Bailey went in when it was nothing, nothing, and hit the crossbar. Anthony Beauvillier had a couple of, uh, you know, had a stick in the right spot a couple times to break up some plays, created a chance for himself. Um, Lightning just, uh, you know, and, and Mike Kelly, uh, who does uh, NHL Network uh, analytics, um, tweeted that uh, the Lightning had zero rush chances in that game, and he wasn't even talking about odd man rushes. He was talking about any chances off the rush, two on two, three on three. They did not get going, and that wasn't because the Lightning were, you know playing playing so poorly that had a lot to do with what the Islanders were doing and they're sticking to their structure and being as patient as possible and and, you know what's interesting to me is that's what the island excuse me that's what Tampa Bay usually feasts on right is their transition game and their speed and the way that they play they stretch the zone and they've got those defensemen that can make those big you know uh, passes 100 150 foot passes um, so that to me says a lot about the structure uh, in that neutral zone. We talk a lot about the structure in the D zone from Barry Trotz, but that neutral zone, that sort of one, two, two, one, three, one that Barry Trotz employs can be very boring. <laughs> and people say that, but it's effective when they break up the plays and then they get to go on offense. Right. So that's where I think there's the misnomer of it's boring hockey. And maybe we'll get into that a little later, but I do think that when you look at the way that Tampa Bay they have the skill and they have the depth. The way that Tampa Bay plays, they are able to adjust. And I think John Cooper is a good enough coach that he can adjust as they go. Uh, I mean, you know, they, they were one for two on the power play, but I don't even really count that late goal because it was a six on four. I know right. technically it was a power play goal, um, but they did a really good job on the penalty kill. Now, is that because the power play, there was no urgency on the, on Tampa Bay? You know, this is whole what comes first, the chicken or the egg. Right. Is it the way the Islanders play that they just disrupted what – uh, Tampa Bay was trying to do maybe and if we if tonight the same thing happens then I think that's a, one more data point towards that I, you know I've also seen Tampa Bay start a little slow I, I watched that Carolina series even though they won the first two um, in Carolina it, they looked a little sloppy they can they can have a little puck management issue coming out and part of that is because they have Vasilevsky behind them they know they have a giant um, 
a security net back there that will catch them when they make mistakes. Again, Vasilevsky, should he have had Ryan Pollock's goal? I know Ryan Pollock can shoot the puck, and I'm not trying to do any disservice to him or his shot. Vasilevsky should have had that. I mean, that, a shot from the blue line with no traffic in front, he should have had that. So, you know, and, and Barzell's was a nice goal, and but it was weird to me to see Vasilevsky with his stick out ready to poke. You know, yeah. I don't know if it, like, it was, a, he was, he was predicting that, but it was so obvious that he was predicting that, that Barzell exposed him. So, you know, I think that that doesn't mean that Vasilevsky is a bad goalie. It means that he maybe will come back with a vengeance tonight and not make two mistakes like that, which could be all the difference in the world. So it, it is going to be interesting to see. I think that the Islanders have a lot to be proud of, a lot to hang their hat on because they played incredibly well and they will continue to play. And, and even if the, if Tampa Bay uh, ups it a little bit and gets their urgency and intensity going, the Islanders still have, you know, the way they play, they can still have tight games with them and still beat them. There's no question. Yeah, and I think, you know, Casey Sezikis, I pulled out that one quote from before the series. There wasn't a whole lot of interesting uh, talk on the Zooms before we started, but Casey Sezikis says, they're going to, you know, they're going to have to beat us. We're not going to beat ourselves. And that sounds like a boring quote, but it is, it really gets to the heart of the Islanders' mentality is that, you know, and, and they had some ups and downs, and we'll get into that in the next segment in, against the Bruins and against the Penguins. Um, but really, when it came time to, to put the clamps down and, and, push those teams out of the playoffs, they did it because the Islanders did not beat themselves and they let the Bruins and the Penguins beat themselves a little bit after tight games five in both of those series. And I think starting off with a, a relatively flawless game and letting the Lightning make the mistakes, like Steven Stamkos trying to force a play that Bailey picks off and set, you know sends bars all away for the goal, like Vasilevsky get, giving up a, a low percentage shot from Polak. You let uh, even a good team, you let them beat themselves, you know, you end up with the mental edge pretty quickly. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny you say that, like, um, I think that's a really good quote from Sazi because it's a very subtle difference. But there ha- in any sport, you've seen teams beat themselves. And I think that it's it's a good awareness and it's a good maturity. And the experience shows in this team that they are going to make they know that Tampa Bay is an incredible team. They lost to them last year as much as that might be sour grapes. And they went on to win the cup and um, they're hard fought deep team, uh, hard fought series against a very deep team. Uh, but it is interesting. You know, you, you mentioned quickly the four check and the way that the, that the Islanders played on Sunday afternoon. And I thought that was one thing. And I highlighted it in our post game show Barzell's line. There was probably about eight minutes left. Pollock had just scored to make it two nothing. And Barzell's line goes out and they put a serious four check pressure on them. And what I was so impressed about is that they didn't let their foot off the gas pedal. They didn't suddenly play in panic of, we don't want to lose. They were still playing to win. And that's a difference playing to win versus playing not to lose, but they were, they were not overly risky either. So they always had a high guy and, and, you know, you got Barzell's line out there. That's not usually their forte. You, right. that's what you see from Pajot's line. That's what you see from Sezika's line, not necessarily the top two lines, but they really were dialed into that understanding that where they were in the game. I mean, we talk about puck management, that's game management, understanding eight minutes left and we got to keep them in their zone. We got to keep frustrating them, keep them as far away from Varlamov as we can, but also take our chances and try to score and try to, you know, up the ante here. So I was, I was impressed with the way they played a really complete game from start to finish. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. 
Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Now, we haven't recorded since uh, the Islanders eliminated the Bruins. It feels like a long time ago because it was almost a full week ago. Um, But being in the building uh, for game six at the Coliseum with uh, kind of on the heels of the Bruins, uh, you know, Losing a game they should have won, Bruce Cassidy's very bizarre New York Saints rant after <laughs> that game that we did that we did discuss. We didn't get to discuss, I think, the $25,000 fine that he got. Um, and the best part of that to me was here he is saying that the Islanders are, are choir boys and nobody ever calls a penalty on them and they're calling the penalties on us and we're like we're doing the same things that they are. And he so he gets hit with the fine the next day. And then as they're reeling from that, player safety comes in with the with the body blow of another $5,000 fine. Uh, that one, I believe, was for um, Nick Ritchie when he elbowed Scott Mayfield in the head. Uh, that was not even called a penalty in Game 5. So uh, I was laughing. I just thought, what a weird – you know, Bruce Cassidy is a great coach. And, uh, you know, it seems like he's going to still be the Bruins coach beyond this season. And he's earned it. You know, he took the team to the finals a couple of years ago. But – as far as motivations go, I, I don't know if I would have done that going into enemy territory and going into the Coliseum. I, I didn't think that the, the Islander fans are great with the chance. They know what they're doing. It was such an awkward thing, the New York Saints thing, that nobody really took it and run with it. There was a guy dressed as the Pope, which I thought was pretty good in the crowd. But ultimately, that game six was as dominating a game as the Islanders played in the playoffs, probably up to Sunday against Tampa. Um, do you Do you feel like that's the sort of game where you close out a very good team and you can exhale for a couple of days that the Islanders, maybe that's they're kind of they're locking in like if we play like this, we can beat anybody. I do think that. And I also think I, I first of all, agree with everything you said. I know we did talk about the Cassidy thing, so we don't have to get back into it. It was it was odd timing. I don't mind the gamesmanship and the chess match. And I think it's always sort of fun to see how these coaches approach that um going into enemy territory i'm a little disappointed there was only one pope outfit but that's fine um, <laughs> those things are expensive i think <laughs> and no angel wings but i guess that's also sort of you know it's not very considerate to your your uh, seatmate next to you um so i you know i think that little things like that though serve as motivation for this team and what, even though they're not playing the bruins anymore right i mean you can use that as a um moving forward, just keeping that in the back of your mind, that this is what people think of you. They're, they're somehow doing you a, doing your talent and your skill and your work ethic a disservice by making excuses for why you've succeeded. Right. And sometimes anything can serve as a motivation. I think this Tampa Bay lightning team still leans on that sweep at the hands of the Columbus blue jacket in 20 uh, blue jackets in 2019, after they won the president's trophy in a record setting regular season, even though they've won since then and we'll say they'll, they exercise those demons, I think they still lean on that. They know how much it hurts to lose. So I think for the Islanders, they've got their loss in the Eastern Conference final last year to um, to Tampa Bay. And now they've got these little things that happen along the way. And like I said earlier in this podcast, it's that 
that chip on their shoulder being the underdogs that some people think that that's not a good thing. It's not a bad thing, right? If it's, if that's the way you're going to play and you're going to, um, you're going to up, up your, up your intensity, up your grittiness, up your physicality, whatever it is that your focus, your, you know, intensity, all of that, whatever it is that, that helps you with that. So, you know, I do think that that's something that they can bring to the table. I thought that they were perfectly balanced on Sunday in their physicality and grit and their discipline. And I think that is one of the hardest things for these guys, for these players to do in an, in an emotional uh, playoff atmosphere. Yeah. It's they really um, kind of balance themselves out uh, on that front. And, you know, and the, and the saints thing, I think Barry had the appropriate response, which is we're one of the least penalized teams in the league this year. And they didn't certainly in the regular season, they don't, the intensity is a little bit dialed down, but they are a team that, um, you know, that, that clearly plays physical at all times because that's how they have to succeed even in the regular season. And they aren't that, you know, they aren't that heavily penalized. They're not, they're not like a, they're not a not, you know, when they're succeeding, they're moving their feet, they're making clean hits, they're not reaching, they're not, you know, stick fouls. You saw a lot of, you know, Matthew Barzell, I think, has to keep a stick down. And there was a, you know, Brock Nelson did get a stick up a little bit on Nikita Kucherov, who made sure that it looked like he got a stick up a lot on Nikita Kucherov, which, People can complain. That's the right thing to do in a two nothing game with two minutes left. That's you got to give yourself any advantage. And I hate to say it, if the roles were reversed, everyone would say great, great job. Yeah, exactly, for exactly. A little bit. So I exactly. agree. Um, so yeah, I think they've they've kind of you know uh, they've kind of reached their peak identity at this point with the way that they're going. Um, whatever, we're thirteen games in now, and I know it's it's uh, premature to be talking about playoff MVP candidates, but to this point. Um, who for you, you know, on a team that's the ultimate team, who are two or three guys that you think are really the ones that are kind of leading the way at this point, having seen them at least at least at least seen snippets of all of the games so far while you've been busy traveling around? You know, it's so interesting, but I feel like that's a um, that's a really hard question for a team like the Islanders because they truly do win by committee. And that's a compliment. And that, um, you know, you look at, to me, on the Vegas Golden Knights, if they go, it's Marc-Andre Fleury. There's no question. And Montreal Canadiens, it's Carey Price. That's why right. that series is so interesting. I'm not saying that other people aren't contributing, but those two have been the most valuable players to those teams. Um, and honestly, you could probably, on Tampa Bay, it's hard because there are so many superstars. Um, and it's the opposite problem on the Islanders. And again, my apologies to people who think that's an insult. It's not. As a team person, as somebody who that's that is the ultimate compliment to those guys is that they've all bought into Barry Trotz's system. I think, um, you know, I think Varlamov has been huge for them. I think that's a tough sell for an MVP just based on the fact that he didn't play all the games. Right. Um, maybe that makes it more compelling because he had to come in and out. Um, I do think Adam Pellick has been phenomenal, um, but that's a that's a tough sell just because points matter when you're looking at MVP voting and they always have. But as a defensive defenseman, and a defensive center when I played, I always look at stuff like that. Um, I, you know, I do think that that whole acquisition line, um, well, in terms of MVP, I would say Pajot and Paul Mary have been phenomenal for them. You said two or three, what am I up to now? Four. Um, <laughs> you might, we might get to 20, who knows? <laughs> and that's, you know, you look at, I know Matt Barzell has been, has been incredible over the last couple of games, but he was quiet early on. So I, you know, to me, it is looking more at, if I'm looking at a forward, it's probably either Peugeot or Palmieri. 
Um, and the defenseman to me, it's it's Pelic. And by the way, on Sunday, I thought the Mayfield letting pairing was really good, yeah. uh, really really good. And I was impressed with the way that they played. Um, but I just think overall, when you're looking at MVP voting, you're looking at the whole body of work in the playoffs. And Pelic has been so consistent. Yeah, I, w- I would guess that uh, Lou might run down press row if he's allowed to uh, if the, after they hoist the Stanley Cup to rip up some Con Smythe ballots if they have Adam Pellick's name on them because that just yes. means the, pr- the price is going <laughs> way up for next season. But and I, I don't, th- I don't yeah. think he will just based on, like I said, it's, right. it's, it's, it's so offense driven, but I just have been impressed with him. Sorry. Well, who are your votes? Um, you know, it's difficult to say. Uh, I'm not trying to project who some of my colleagues would vote for because I think you do go with the sexier name. So Barzal and who's earned it, especially lately. Uh, and I think as you get into the finals and through the finals, that's weighted he- a lot heavier than the earlier rounds when you're voting because it's the most recent and it's the most important. Um, so I don't think we've seen anything quite yet. You know, if Semyon Varlamov rips off a few more wins and they get past Tampa and they end up winning a Stanley Cup with him. I think he'd be a hard person to bet against. But based on what we've seen so far, um, I might go with Pajot. You know, not only scoring, um, but centering a line that's been arguably their most important line all the way through because it's become their their matchup line at home. You know, he he played a lot against Sidney Crosby, played a lot against Patrice Bergeron, and obviously that Bergeron line – did all of the damage for the Bruins. There was nobody else that really contributed anything for them. And those three guys were awesome in that series. But at five on five in the Coliseum in those three games, there were, they produced one goal and it was Marshawn's overtime winner in game three, which shouldn't have been a goal. It was just a bad one given up by Varlamo. So those Pajot, Kyle Palmieri, Travis Ajak, um, I think they're the most important guys so far. I don't think we've seen in game one that they needed to shut anybody down. Obviously the, the point Kucherov, Andre Palat line is, Tampa's top line, but when none of them really have an effect on the game, you don't really need to have those matchups. But I'm sure by the time we get back to the Coliseum, you'll see Pajot out there against Point a lot. And uh, if they can do the job again, I think he's my vote. Yeah, I, I do. I, I think he he's always been one of my favorites based on the fact that he's so consistent. And his benefit to the lineup, not even just in the playoffs, which is I know what we're talking about, his benefit to the lineup is not uh, – is not solely offense. Right. Right. And so that's why I appreciate what he does both ends of the ice matching. And I mean, this is just something that again, doesn't go into uh, consummate voting, but how well he's adapted. I mean, he's had different line mates throughout. He plays the same way every night. And, you know, at the beginning of this season, you and I talked a lot on this podcast about trust with Barry Trotz. And a lot of it was surrounding why Leo Komarov was still in the lineup. If you remember Mm -hmm. back to January, February, maybe even into March, March, April, probably May too. And um, so, you know, it's about trust and, you know, the longer leash that some of these players have. I mean, Pajot's only played for Barry Trotz for a season and a half, but man, he, he's got a pretty, he should have a pretty long leash and he doesn't make many mistakes. So he hasn't had to test that leash, but he, it's just impressive. The face-offs, the, the five on five, the penalty kill. And I do think that it's great that he sort of dragged Palmieri and Zajac into the fight, whether they needed to be dragged or not, whether they would have already gone. I, I, we were talking in our pregame show about the X factor last night. And um, although Butch went on and, and uh, Butch, if you're listening, he went on so long, I didn't even get to put my pick in for the X factor. Um, and mine was going to be that whole acquisition line. I think they are going to be the ones that can be a huge, huge difference maker. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. So, um, huge game two, huge series. We're going to talk a lot more about all this stuff next week when I'm sure the series will still be going on. Um, but for now, now that more people on the national stage are talking about the Islanders in, in the hockey world on Twitter, um, which is not always a good gauge of what people, regular folks are thinking. It's the most extreme of the extreme sometimes when it comes to fans. Um, I was asked this too on our uh, the athletic hockey show with my esteemed colleagues Ian Mendes and Haley Salvian the other day. Um, are the Islanders boring? And you know, you and I talk about the Islanders every week, so we obviously don't. You know, if it was that boring, we probably would have stopped the show after about four episodes because people might find you and I boring because it's well, the same voices talking about the Islanders. A, so our apologies. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this narrative that kind of crops up about ah they don't have any stars and and to me the 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 one that always makes me smile in kind of a rueful way because it just keeps coming up and keeps coming up is you know especially online the stars of the game are are revered when it comes to data and analysis and conversation whether it's McDavid Matthews and Marner McKinnon all those guys are out um, what's left are Vegas, which is much like, you know, built a lot like the Islanders, not a lot of stars, good goaltending, solid defense. They're probably better at what they do than the Islanders and maybe it makes that a little, makes them a little more exciting. And they play in Vegas where everything's exciting. Montreal, bit of an upstart, younger team, great goalie, a uh, bit of a surprise to be here. And Tampa, who's a, you know, a dominating team, defending champs. So uh, this idea that somehow the Islanders who play like Vegas and who Montreal tries to emulate with what they've done in terms of their, especially their depth guys that they've added. Um, it's, it just makes me laugh that like the Islanders are bad for the game because they make good players look bad. <laughs> Something like that. Like, like they're, you know, when they're, when they're doing what they did to the Penguins, to Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin and doing what they did to the Bruins with the perfection line. Um, I don't know how that's not exciting. I could just, I'm not. I'm. I don't think we're biased here to say that that like a team that's made the semifinals two years in a row has to be doing something that's positive and productive and not just locking people down and grabbing them and throwing them down and being mean to the good players. Well, so winning to me is is. I mean, I shouldn't say it's never boring because I've watched. I actually watched that clinching game of um, uh, Tampa. I mean, I worked that clinching game, Tampa, Carolina. And even though Tampa won, like that was a very uneventful game. I'll stop short of saying boring. It was Stanley Cup playoffs and a great atmosphere, but it was just uneventful based on the game that we had had in game four down in Tampa. So, you know, obviously ebbs and flows and we get picky because there are sometimes these epic games and that you all compare that we all compare every game to. So when I look at the Islanders, the, the big rub that I hear constantly, and because I do national games, I talk to people all over and, you know, the Islanders, oh, they never score any goals, right? And I look back at this playoff series, and if that were true, they'd be winning one nothing. 
2-1, 2 nothing, And they've won a couple games like that, obviously, the, on Sunday. But, you know, they beat Pittsburgh. They, there were a couple games they scored four goals. There were a couple games they scored – maybe one game they scored five. Um, you know, then they you, – you just look at the way that they've played against Boston. They scored – the final game, I think, was 6-2, maybe in – you know, I, I, fine if we take empty netters out. But still, they're scoring goals. And when you've got Matt Barzell scoring highlight real goals sometimes or you've got – you know, Brock Nelson, he's a dynamic electric player when he's on and he's playing in Bovillier uh, with his speed. And then, you know, you take in that Pajot and Palmieri pairing that we were talking about. So I, I agree with you. I think it's really interesting, but I think it's just the old, when people feel, when, when, when somebody, if say non-Islanders fan goes to watch the game and say it's a Tampa Bay Lightning fan that watches the game on NBC on Sunday, and Tampa Bay doesn't play very well. And suddenly now they start crowing, well, the Islanders are boring. It's a boring style of hockey. They're ruining the game. Well, no, in that situation to me, the Islanders played a great game. Tampa Bay didn't show up and your team lost. So now that what are you going to blame? You're going to blame the Islanders <laughs> for being boring. And it's just something they've heard before. And it's like a mob mentality. So, you know, I'm sure there were there are games that they play a boring style. There were seasons that it was boring. Um, because they weren't winning or they weren't scoring goals. But, you know, I just I look at the way they play now. There are some times when they get a lead and they lock in the third period that I think, oof, okay, now this is sort of this isn't the kind of hockey I like to watch as a hockey fan. But if I'm a coach or I'm a fan, well, sort of what you need to do. So, uh, you know, you balance, it's an entertainment game versus what's entertaining, winning or, you know, you're trying to win. It's a business. So I do find that a really interesting thing that all these coaches are managing. And I think somebody like Barry Trotz, he's looking at his lineup and he's coaching to his lineup. I'm not saying that they're boring players, but he's coaching what he's got and he's got depth and he's got players that are all heart and he does have a, have a ton of skill too, but not the, you mentioned McDavid and McKinnon and Austin Matthews and these people that are lighting the world on fire. And I'm not saying that Barzell doesn't have that talent. He does, but it's just a different thing when you've got this whole all encompassing win by committee mentality. And like I said, these guys have bought in and they love it. And some of it also comes from their captain, Anders Lee. I mean, that's the kind of guy he is. Yeah. And you know, to me, there's nothing boring about a team that plays a team concept. You know, every fan is a fan of a a sport that is, one of the, you know, this, I think in football are really the sports where you can't succeed with just individual success. And if you are a fan of hockey, whatever team you're a fan of, you may have your favorite individual players, whether you're, you know, you're, and I love watching Nathan McKinnon get going. And I like watching Austin Matthews shoot it. And I like watching Connor McDavid do pretty much anything on the ice, but also there are other guys on the ice. And when they're trying to stop them and when coaches are trying to game plan against those great players, it's not, it's not illegal or should be, you know, denied because it's denying these guys incredible talent. You know, that's not the thing that gets it done, especially in the playoffs. And to see a team play this way and to think about, you know, you make, you you feel frustrated when the, when things are over with, but as Barry Trotz has pointed out a lot, you know, they didn't have Casey Sezikis for the last four games against Tampa in the bubble. They didn't have Adam Pellick for game six, and they were a Brock Nelson breakaway and overtime away from getting to a game seven, even down those two guys. So here they are without Anders Lee, which by all rights, if they were maybe a little bit more of a top-heavy team, would make them – would force them to play a different way, um, to be more conservative because they're missing one of their more dominant forwards. 
Instead, they just say, we're going to spread our guys out. We're going to put Leo Komarov on our top line and everybody better shut up about it, including us. Um, <laughs> and we're just going to... Much to our dismay. That's right. We're going to try to do what we do. And the commitment from, you know, from Matthew Barzell on down through whoever it is, Michael Del Call, if he ever gets back in or Oliver Wastrom or whoever, that's impressive to me that... Um, there are no there are no little breaks in the armor for this team right now, and things can happen. The Lightning could reel off four straight, and then we're here talking about something completely different. But um, I don't know how you can say it's boring when they're second in the playoffs in goals right now. They're shooting close to 10%, so they're scoring some goals on not a lot of chances. Um, and they're making some big plays in the defensive zone, which – Again, not boring to me. If if you're a fan of hockey, that's part of the game. So I, you know, it's I know we're not we're a little unfocused here because it's not really one person saying the Islanders are boring, but it's just kind of this overall sentiment of it's a team that's three wins away from the finals, and they it's not like they didn't earn it to get there. So uh, it's a strange it's a strange trope to fall back on to me. It, it, it definitely it, it definitely is, but I think that like I said, it's just you get a, a narrative, right? You and I talked about the narrative that Bruce Cassidy was rewriting or you know accusing Barry Trotz of writing and I think sometimes the world of hockey just jumps onto it but it is a um it's it's impressive what they've been able to do and you think back to that Eastern Conference final and I I sort of you forget all of that I mean you know if you ask me oh yeah they were missing Sezikis and at that point Johnny Boychuk had gone down obviously they don't have him now but at the time they were relying on him. They were expecting to have him, right? And then you mentioned at the beginning of this podcast that eight to two loss in game one, coming off an emotional seven game series against Philly, which a bunch of them had gone to overtime, travel, and you have Tampa Bay sitting pretty waiting for them. I mean, that was it right away, by the way, in the press conference last night, or no, sorry, two night, two days ago after game one. Barry Trotz brings it up unsolicited. It still sticks in his craw that that happened, that the league did that to them. So, you know, I think that they're they're And again, you go back to what's motivating them. Well, maybe a little bit of that too. Let's prove them wrong. We were given the short end of the stick and let's prove to them that we not only belong here, but we belong in the final. Well, we're three wins away from finding out if they're, if they can get there, it's going to be, uh, I don't know if that's going to be a quick, uh, a quick settlement here in this series, but uh, we'll be back again next week uh, to talk about it. And I'm sure, like I said, the, 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 still, this series will still be going on. We'll still have something to talk about. And uh, the Islanders just keep on marching along as we get into summertime. So I know you can sit in your hammock and sip a lemonade now, AJ, because you're not <laughs> traveling around with NBC. But, but don't stop watching the Islanders if you can, because we're going to have a lot more to talk about. I won't. I'll be working tonight. I got it. I'm, and also, I can't stop watching. It's fun. It's not boring. <laughs> Do you hear that, everybody? Not boring. That's the official <laughs> word. So thanks, everybody, for listening, as always. Uh, if you want to listen on any of your favorite platforms, Apple, Spotify, do us a favor, subscribe, leave a review. It can really help us out. And if you want to subscribe to The Athletic, you can do so at theathletic.com slash no sleep till Belmont to get the latest deal. Islanders playoffs, they keep on going, and we'll be here. See you next week.